Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and you should start making plans to come ride our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, because riding season is about to get started out at Hartman Rocks in Gunnison real soon. And if you haven't ever ridden out at Hartman's, you should change that, and you should change that in the next couple of weeks, because we love Hartman's around here, and you are about to love Hartman's too. Okay, today I am talking with our bike editor, David Golay, about four longer travel enduro bikes that David has been spending time on out in the PNW. So that's what we have on tap, and let's go ahead and get right to it. Here we go. All right, well, David, it is time to get some updates about some bikes you have been spending a good amount of time on. And today we're talking about some longer travel enduro bikes. So where do we want to kick things off? Yeah, I've been spending time on a bunch of different kind of 150 to 160, 170 travel enduro bikes recently. First off, we'll start with the Privateer 161 that... We talked about a little bit last time we did one of these reviewer reports, but as of last time we talked, I was pretty psyched about the bike in a bunch of regards, especially the kind of the way it descends and it's just very competent and uh, super, super capable bike. But the thing that was the biggest open question in my book at that point was how I was going to get along with the exceptionally steep C2 bangle after I had spent more time on it. Um, last time I was kind of feeling like it was maybe pushing that possibly a little bit too far and was still kind of wondering to what extent that was me just needing to get used to it more versus that was how it was going to be as I spent more time on it. And having done that, I have actually mostly gotten used to it. It felt kind of weird when I first got on it, to be sure. But with some more time to adjust, it doesn't particularly anymore. Um, It took a while. Last time, I think I had eight or 10 or 12, something like that rides on it and was not totally there yet. But with some more time, I've, I kind of have gotten there and it's worth noting too, that, uh, like we said last time, that's despite the fact that I've been kind of interchanging it with a bunch of other bikes that I've also been riding as we'll get into here, been busy, got a bunch of stuff going right now. Well, cool. So for anybody who would like to hear a lot more about this privateer 161 and just privateer in general check out episodes number 51 and 53 of bikes and big ideas i think i got those episode numbers right david yep those are right okay yeah episode 51 and 53 and yeah we had a really good conversation with privateer and so you definitely should check that one out so all right david where are we going to next so Next up is another bike that is in some ways kind of similar to the 161 on paper, the Rocky Mountain Altitude. They're both roughly 160 millimeter rear travel, 170 front travel, 29er enduro bikes, but the overall character of them is actually quite different. So the 161 is a super game on bike that just needs to be pushed very hard and going really fast before it kind of starts to come alive. And once you do that, it's outstanding, but uh, it's not 
a bike that's super happy just tootling around on mellow trails at low speeds and not really trying to get after it. The Rocky, on the other hand, is uh, kind of an interesting blend in that it's a long travel enduro bike that is pretty capable when you're moving out and pushing it hard, but is just a much easier going bike at really low speeds and doesn't have to be going a thousand miles an hour to feel like it's really happy and starting to come alive. And so the bike that it actually reminds me of the most, which is not the comparison that I would have expected to make kind of going into this test, is uh, actually the Gorilla Gravity Smash, which isn't necessarily a super obvious comparison on paper. The altitude has substantially more suspension travel. It's, uh, like I said, 160, 170 travel, whereas the Smash is 145 rear with a 150 or 160 millimeter fork, depending how you want to build it up. And so, you know, the Rocky does feel like it has more suspension travel, but in a lot of other respects, they feel sort of surprisingly similar in terms of kind of how they handle mostly. I'm testing the Carbon 90 Rally Edition of the Altitude, which is the pretty high-end, pretty blinged-out build. It's um, full XTR, drivetrain, and brakes. And then the Rally Edition is Rocky's name for kind of their slightly burlier builds. So uh, whereas a lot of the Altitudes come with a 36, this has a 38 on it and a matching Fox Float X2 rear shock, and it comes with a few extra little things like a bash guard and a bigger rear brake rotor and stuff that the standard versions of the Rocky Mountain Altitude don't. So it's an expensive bike. As tested, it is $9,500 complete. They have a big range of builds, though, um, including some aluminum framed options that are priced much more modestly. And one thing that's interesting, too, is part of that fancy blingy build is that uh, the bike complete in a size large is 31 pounds and change. I forget the exact number, which is pretty damn light for a 160 millimeter travel enduro bike, especially with a 38 on it and so on. And so it's not exactly the most efficient pedaling bike. It's kind of more middle of the road in terms of sort of the trade off between being super efficient pedaling versus having lots of traction and relatively active suspension under pedaling. But that weight is obvious. It's really very light. And basically, it's just a really good all-arounder trail bike for a 160, 170 travel kind of enduro bike. It's a little bit more mellow and a lot of fun on trails that aren't just super steep, gnarly, straight down the mountain at super high speeds, which is a different flavor on that sort of category of bike than the privateer 161 but the altitude does it pretty well fairly interesting that much travel fairly light good traction i kind of like the sound of all of those things it does sound like something that i think you would like yeah i like traction but at that point i like things that aren't wild heavy either so um Interesting. Yeah. Well, very cool. And it's it's always cool too that I mean they've got like you said just a broad range of builds and and even frames and so you can get into these things quite a bit less expensive than the version you've been testing if if that's where you would like to go. So, yeah, I got a big range and uh it's an interesting offering. Been getting along with it pretty well. 
Where are we going next? Yeah, so uh, speaking of things that are a lot less expensive, next up, I've been also spending a bunch of time on the Marin Alpine Trail Carbon 2, which is their 150mm uh, rear, 160mm front Enduro bike. And this is the top spec build from them with a carbon front triangle. It's still an aluminum rear triangle, but it's only $4,400, so uh, well under half what the Rocky that I'm testing costs. And obviously, there are some trade-offs there. It's uh, mostly a Shimano SLX build with an XT rear derailleur thrown in. Uh, it also has a Fox 38, but it's a performance elite rather than the factory. So basically, you just lose the shiny gold Kashima stanchions, which look cool, but in my opinion, aren't actually uh, worth a whole lot performance-wise. But then it's got heavier wheels, and it only has a uh, Fox DPX2 rear shock, which is competent but feels a little bit undergunned compared to the 38 but it's especially given that it's a relatively well it's not a cheap bike but kind of mid-price and a pretty good value for money build getting along with it well too um one thing that's interesting with it is that the geometry is a little bit different than a lot of the norms for that uh, particularly in that it's got quite a slack head tube angle at 63 and a half. The reach is pretty long at 480 millimeters on a size large bike that I'm testing. Steep C tube angle. That stuff's all the modern long low slack kind of paradigm. But uh, where they didn't go long is the chain stays. They're only 430 millimeters across the whole size range, which is for that kind of class of bike quite short. And so it makes everything just a bit different handling than a lot of the other stuff that I've been spending time on recently. In particular, what it kind of makes for is a bike that wants you to be somewhat aggressive about weighting the front wheel. And if you're kind of on top of it and doing that, it's then really easy to sort of slash the rear wheel around and kind of drift that through corners and so on. But it does require... A bit of attentiveness to get on the front wheel and weight that because the it feels like sort of naturally if you're sort of sitting more centered on it your weight bias ends up rearward and then you just have to you get kind of a little hung up and stuck almost you have to just be a little more aggressive in your touch with the bike uh, but if you do that it works well and it's quite a bit of fun and um, particularly given the price it's a very good value in a bike like rocky mountain they've got both aluminum and carbon frames in that and a couple of different builds so uh not quite as huge a range of them as rocky mountain offers so um that's a solid option for a mid-price one and they have a couple options that are cheaper than that too if you're looking for something on the less expensive end of things any comparisons come into mind not anything that it feels super similar to i can sort of talk about the ways that it's different from some of these other things uh like compared to the rocky mountain that we just went to it's heavier doesn't pedal quite as well and does want more speed to come alive it's um just a little bit more of a specifically descending oriented bike and not quite as much of a versatile all-rounder Compared to the Privateer 161, it is decidedly less game on. It's sort of somewhere between the Rocky Mountain and the Privateer in that regard. Um, so 
it doesn't need to be going a thousand miles an hour to feel like it's alive and happy, but it's pretty poppy in terms of the suspension feel, uh, not super planted or traction-y, more on the yeah lively and poppy side of things. It's a lot of fun to jump. The short chain stays probably help there a little bit too, compared to stuff like the Gorilla Gravity Nirvana. The Nirvana's got a little bit more suspension travel and feels a lot more planted and grippy and traction-y and not nearly as poppy. And then compared to the Gorilla Gravity Smash that I mentioned earlier, it it's a little bit closer in terms of a travel comparison than it is to the, well, really all of those other bikes I just listed. Um, but the Marin is a lot slacker head tube angle, quite a bit longer wheelbase and feels like it. It's just not as nimble at lower speeds and consequently doesn't feel quite as versatile as an everyday trail bike. It's it's a little bit more descending oriented and aggressive, but conversely, more stable and more planted when you're doing that and really moving out on it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes these things, sometimes it's the similarities to other things out there that kind of resonate the most and then sometimes on other products and in other product categories it's kind of things are more defined by what they are not like what how they're different right and i think that's just a constant game we play all the time around here yeah no that i haven't been on anything recently that jumps out as being real similar to that marine alpine trail it's a good bike but it is just a little different than pretty much everything else that i've spent time on recently in one way or another all right, well, last but not least, I think we're going to now talk a bit about this latest iteration of the Santa Cruz Nomad. I think this is the fifth iteration of the Nomad. Is that right, David? Yep. Uh, I've been spending a little bit of time on the Nomad V5 now, too. Uh, it only showed up last week, so I've only got a couple of rides on it. We're definitely in the initial impressions stage right now with this one. But uh, Nomad's interesting because unlike... Well, all of the other bikes we talked about so far and a lot of other kind of long travel enduro bikes these days, it's using 27.5 wheels. I should point out that the uh, Rocky Mountain Altitude and the Privateer 161 do use 27.5s on the smallest sizes, but jump up to 29 pretty quickly. Uh, the Marin Alpine Trail is 29 or totally across the board. The Nomad isn't, though. It's a 27.5 bike in all four sizes. I've been testing the top spec X01 build in a large again. Um, so it's a full SRAM X01 drivetrain, code RSC brakes, and then that comes with, yet again, a Fox 38 fork and uh, float X2 rear shock, just like the Rocky Mountain Altitude um, in the factory versions again for both of those. And uh, that also has... Santa Cruz's car reserve carbon 30 wheels. So uh, another real high end build um, that retails for $7,500 complete. So not quite as much as the Rocky, but uh, still pretty far up there. And um, again, only a couple of rides on it so far. We're at the early phase of that testing. But my impression so far is that um, it's a very interesting blend of being pretty stable and planted, but also fairly quick handling despite that. You know, it's not like 
to the extreme with either of those variables, but it's unusually far kind of down both of those roads, especially for how those two kind of interrelate with each other. Um, and I think a fair bit of that's down to the rear suspension. It is really notable for how supple and grippy it is off of the top, but then still has pretty good support through the midstroke and doesn't feel like it is wallowy once you get into it more, which is, can kind of be a common thing with a lot of bikes that are super sort of plush. You just keep being plush and wallowy, whereas the, the Nomad has managed to combine that grippy, yeah, supple early stroke with a pretty good support also, which is interesting and pretty cool. It's only available in a carbon frame. They've got a couple of less expensive builds than the one that I'm riding, though. And uh, the high-end build that I'm on comes with Santa Cruz's CC Carbon, which is the higher-end version of their carbon construction. It just saves a bit of weight compared to the more standard C in their parlance. That is brick call adding up to a bike that's 32 and a half ish pounds complete. So not quite as light as the Rocky, but still relatively so. And like we talked about in our last uh, reviewer reports, again, I think that there is still really a place for 27.5 wheels in this space. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be for everyone, but I'm glad that Santa Cruz is still sticking to the nomad roots and still doing the smaller wheel size with it. And, it's shaping up to be a lot of fun. It's probably not the thing that I would choose for a truly dedicated Enduro race bike out of the crop of bikes that we're talking about here. The uh, Privateer 161 is pretty clearly the most just full throttle game on go fast always bike out of the bunch, which, you know, if that's what you want. That's cool. Um, but the Nomad is a lot of fun. And for people who don't feel like, you know, they're not maybe they're not literally aren't racing or just their approach to riding isn't to be absolutely pinned all the time and want to have a bike that's more nimble and throw around more and just a bit different feel that doesn't feel like you have to be pushing it super duper hard for it to come alive and get a bit out of it. It's proven to be a lot of fun and still also is pretty planted and stable and capable too. It's a good blend of those things. So it's a it's a neat different uh, twist on that kind of, again, longer travel enduro category that also feels pretty distinctly different from all of the other options that we've talked about here. Well, I think it only continues to be more true that we just have more and more like flavors of ice cream available out there right and more than ever before people can just go get exactly the flavor that is most appealing to them it sounds like with this recap you've just given us it's just sort of yet another example of that yeah totally i mean i think we're getting to the point where Bike companies are really kind of getting things dialed in, and there aren't too many truly objectively bad bikes anymore, which is not to say that they aren't different. They certainly are, but it's just different blends of attributes that do different things well and 
yeah, the flavor of ice cream analogy is perfect. It's just different combinations of flavors and different twists on the theme. And uh, there's something in there for everybody. The big thing, I think, in terms of our job as reviewers, it's like, let's just keep in mind. So, you know, if somebody's like, oh, yeah, you can't buy a bike, you can't go wrong, just buy anything. It's like, well, wait a sec. If we're sticking to our specific flavor of ice cream, this ice cream costs like $4,500 to $9,500 from the stuff that we just covered here. So it's like, I still think it's right to be like, maybe bikes in general, maybe there are fewer just terrible bikes being built and sold these days. But the stuff is still expensive. And I think helping people really get clear on maybe I want to go to this one of the four bikes that we just talked about, right? I think that's the entire ball game. And that's what we kind of are trying to do at Blister on kind of, I think, any product category, really. But um, hopefully we can keep sussing out for people. It's like, oh, you don't actually care about pedaling efficiency whatsoever? Okay, cool. Or you want this to be stable, but as playful as possible? Okay, let me show you this option. So anyway, it's just, I think it's just always good, right? It's interesting in the review game if, because I still read this all the time. Like you can't go wrong, just buy anything. And it's like, okay, well, what you've just described is four interesting bikes. That doesn't mean that anybody is going to personally want any of the four bikes equally, you know, or like that any of the four will serve all riders equally well. That's definitely not what you've just said. And so anyway. Yeah, I very emphatically say the opposite. In fact, that they're they're so different that it's very hard to imagine a hypothetical person who would be equally happy with any of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, man, listen, as always, it's fun to get to catch up with you on this stuff. I know, you know, you've got more rides in front of you on some of these bikes and uh, we'll stay tuned for full reviews on our website. I mean, honestly, I'm psyched. Like we're in this beautiful spring season right now where the days are long, the temps are warming up, and like we're now in going to be like, what do you want to do today? Backcountry ski or head to Gunnison and ride bikes? That that season is coming very, very quickly here. And uh, I got to say, I'm really excited to have both the, the, the backcountry skiing and the, the biking option, you know, on the menu. So uh, we'll, we'll be getting on. We'll be doing some pedaling around here real soon. Sweet. Yeah, it's a cool time of year for that. And uh, good talking to you as always. Okay, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. See you, Jonathan. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to David for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon. <laughs>